You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 187 of American Sex Podcast. This week is a good one. Ken and I talk with Kate Larie about all the skills that you need to thrive in consensually non-monogamous relationships. Now, Kate's been with us before on a few episodes. She's a sex-positive licensed marriage and family therapist with a specialty in non-monogamous kink LGBTQ, and sex worker communities. Plus, she's the author of Open Deeply, a guide to building conscious, compassionate, open relationships. And it was just released last week on April 19th, and it topped the charts. Now, in addition to her master's in marriage and family therapy, Kate is also a certified sex educator and an EMDR certified therapist. She's also been practicing psychotherapy since 2003. Kate also co-hosts her very own sex positive podcast called Open Deeply with, mm, I didn't get the drumroll sound loaded onto my machine like I was supposed to. So boo. Got that noise though. But yes, Kate's co-host is me, Sunny Megatron. Kate has also been featured in a ton of publications, everything from BuzzFeed videos to Ms. Magazine. And she's also a frequent public speaker. Okay, so this conversation. Now, although it's focused on non-monogamous, aka commonly known as polyamorous relationships, uh, uh, uh. if you are a monogamous person, don't turn off this episode thinking it's not for you. Stick around. You're going to be pleasantly surprised because there's something for all flavors of relationships and relationship orientations in this episode, whether you're polyamorous, you're in the swing lifestyle, you're open, you're monogamous, you name it, there's stuff for you. Now, all relationships are susceptible to hurdles. Things like resentment pop up, uh, attachment injuries get in the way, navigating mental health within your relationship, trying to develop healthy coping strategies or get past those maladaptive, not so healthy ones we've been carrying around our whole lives, overcoming that damaging societal conditioning in our relationships that we bring in, you know, factoring in the painful wounds from either your own or your partner's traumas or like, you know, when it happens like, oh no, my trauma is activating your trauma. What do we do? Right? We have all been there in our relationships. And all of that stuff is hard enough between two people. But how do all of those things play out when there are multiple partners in the mix? Then 
add other things that are unique to non-monogamy, you know, intense jealousy, time management, the Google calendars, ah, couples privilege, all of those things. So in this conversation, Kate draws from her years as a therapist to non-monogamous couples to talk about strategies for compassionate communication, like her epic communication model, which is pretty epic, by the way, just you wait, Uh, self-awareness, breaking unhealthy patterns, how to get to the bottom of root causes of conflict, and a whole bunch more. But before we do that, you know what we got to do, right? Well, we're supposed to wash the balls, which is housekeeping here on American Sex Podcast. But you know what? These balls are already pretty clean. I have no new classes. I have no new events to announce that are coming up, at least in the you know short enough term, because I have been busy, 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 busy. Why? Uh, the, the secret thing that I've been hinting about. Hopefully it won't be secret for too much longer. So make sure you're watching my social media for updates and announcements because they are coming. And that's it. We get to hear the squeaky clean ball noise one more time. These balls are clean. Here is Kate Larie spilling all the secrets to having healthy, successful, fulfilling, consensually non-monogamous relationships. All right, American fuckers, I am very much looking forward to this conversation. We've got Kate Lurie with us as a guest. And for those of you who don't know, Kate and I co-host another podcast together called Open Deeply. And Open Deeply is also the name of your new book. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hello. It's so good to be here again. I know. and Ken, two of my favorite people in the whole world. And likewise, um, I I love talking to you about consensual non-monogamy um, because you have a very unique point of view, being that you are a sex positive therapist. So you get to see consensual non-monogamy through a lens that um, not all of us get to see and through... I don't know, like an inclusive meet people where they're at. We're all at different stages in our non-monogamous journey, our emotional journeys, our self-growth journeys, which I think is a very valuable perspective and this perspective that your book is coming from. So before we dive into talking all about consensual non-monogamy, tell me about your book. Yeah, well, my book comes, it, it basically came together um, over the years from one listening to couples therapists from over all over the globe. And it's also a culmination of all my knowledge related to trauma. Now, you may wonder, how does trauma have anything to do with non-monogamy? But Within trauma research, you learn about grounding skills, you learn about meditation and mindfulness, you learn about how if your body is dysregulated because you get low-key triggered or you're super upset, that none of the communication skills that you ever learned from Imago Dialogue or nonviolent communication will work. Mm -hmm. And so... In this book, I fuse all that knowledge with all my knowledge of couples therapy, but let's 
Face it, most of the knowledge about couples therapy is all through a monogamous lens. So this book is all through a non-monogamous lens. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's full of vignettes um, that are very understandable. So it, it explains, you know, how cutting-edge neurobiology-informed grounding skills, somatic tracking, mindfulness, and effective communication skills can combine and help you out in your non-monogamous relationship. It, honestly, this book covers so much territory, it's honestly hard for me to nutshell. Right, right. The, because it, it just covers so much. I, I really tried to put everything that I know over the last 20 years of being a sex-positive therapist into this book. Yeah. So, and, you know, my, my clients that would come into sessions, a lot of times they had read some of the, you know, the ethical slut opening up. And they were just like, you know, this isn't helping us with what goes on in um, our day-to-day -day experience. Right. And so this book takes all the different issues, the main issues I see in my private practice, and it addresses them. I, I love it. I, you know, I, I kind of look at it like, you know, it's a relationship book. Like, you know, it's almost a behind the scenes, like the, like those intro classic polyamory books that are very valuable to teach you, you know, the basics and how you can configure your life, but they don't get into then like, okay, now once you've done that, here's the behind the scenes bullshit and the emotional bullshit. It's like, this is a, you know, relationship book, but for people who are non-monogamous, because all the relationship books are for monogamous people and they don't address the specific problems that we see in a uh, pl plural is, is plural relationships the right word i always hear that with like polygamy but can we call ourselves plural relationships i don't have a problem with it yeah at the, at the end of the day i'm not very rigid in my thinking I, yeah you know uh i try i'm always striving towards becoming more fluid and more embracing of different different types of thought and i certainly don't want non-monogamous people to start being as rigid right as we sometimes accuse monogamous people yeah. of being you know <laughs> right yeah 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 i was trying to thesaurus my conversational skills like let me use a different word because i keep saying ethical or conceptual non-monogamy and and polyamory and i was like plural relationships i never use that word is that even I, right I, i've I never even heard anybody use that in popular use really I don't know. I, I'm making it popular now. Yeah, I, I have no. I mean, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Why not? It, it, it does. It's it's not offensive. Yeah. It's yeah. descriptive. It's accurate. Yeah, and I thesaurus that conversation. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay, but but you know, so I mean, one thing I'll, I'll have to say is a lot of the books that I've read. I mean, there's some beautiful books on non-monogamy at this point and but i'll have to say two things one i don't feel like a lot of them give enough vignettes and i know in my private practice when you say something general like a general concept people don't tend to understand that they don't know how that, that operationally defines how that operationally translates into their life mm -hmm. you know like uh, when I just give a generalization in my private practice, I get the scrunchy face, you know, the, yeah. the two, you know, two clients in front of me that are like, what? And then when I put it in the form of an example or a vignette, then they're like, oh, so that's one thing that I feel is missing in a lot of the books. And also, I feel like the books tend to 
sway towards the the positive, which is mm. lovely. I can understand why we still want to wave our pom poms because we receive a lot of bigotry from people who are not non-monogamous. Um, but at the same time, that that doesn't really help us along, and there are a lot of people that struggle. So my book doesn't pull any punches. It's it's talking about the hard stuff and and the difficulties that we run into that are the most common that I see. Yeah. So I have a question. Do you talk about poly breakups? Because as little books as there are about, you know, successful monogamous breakups, poly breakups, I haven't even heard a mention in any book. You know, I, I talk about skills that will apply to anything. So I don't really get into breakups per se, but, you know, again, because I'm a trauma therapist, I'm very much talking about like, what are the skills that you need to have in difficult conversations and breakup conversations would be, would fall under that window. So there's a huge, the book slowly leads up to all of this stuff um, where I'm saying, talking about, okay, well, if you're getting triggered in a conversation uh, and you're either what trauma therapists would call being stuck in the high zone. So that would be super anxious, super angry, or you're stuck in the low zone, tuned out, dissociated, numb. In either one of those places, your prefrontal cortex, a part of your brain that negotiates between reason and emotion, is no longer working so well. And that's why you might call your mm -hmm. girlfriend a cunt and, re and regret it the next day. So, you know, it, it talks about, okay, so we all can get low T, you know, small T triggered um, at times. So how can we teach ourselves to get grounded and teach our partner to get grounded so we can move through uncomfortable conversations, including breakup conversations, in a way that we are centered? And, you know, and so that's, that's when I talk about um, the epic communication mm -hmm. uh, technique that's mm -hmm. in my book, um, it's, it's designed to address that. So, you know, the E is the um, empathizing piece, empathizing with the person that's in distress. The P is the grounding part, helping yourself know how to somatically track and ground yourself and ground others. The I is the intellectual piece, the validating piece, the piece where you're like, where you say, I intellectually understand and validate your opinion. I may not agree with it, but I can see why you think that way about this topic mm -hmm. that we're discussing. And then the C is um, compassion and action. So, you know, I've, I've, I've heard your emotions. I've been trying to ground you throughout the whole thing. I validate you. And now that we've moved through it and you feel seen and heard, let's talk about how we can make this better. So compassion at, you know, in action is actually doing something to make things better. And in the case of a breakup, it would might be um, after you've moved through the whole discussion, it might be, you know, what are some things that can make this breakup the easiest for you? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I was just thinking about just having the additional element of having a, uh, an additional partner that either, should or should not act as mediator in a situation like that. And it's so hard to tell because it depends on the relationship. Mm. Yeah. When I've talked to my clients that are in bubbles, because let's face it, a lot of people are in little bubbles, you know, they're right. in a bubble of high functioning, like happy people that are doing well. And then there's bubbles of folks that are just like arguing and there's drama and they're hurting each other. Right. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. so my, 
my clients that are in bubbles that are kind and and uh, are really enjoying their non-monogamous relationship, they often have mediators. They often have therapists and mediators. Mm-hmm. So they're going to the therapist for their deep work. And sometimes when they just have a, you know, something they need to hash out, they're, they're doing that on the side with a mediator. That's a, a lot of times a dear friend that they feel is wise. Right, right. And I know, like, Ken, I think you were getting at, uh, like, let's say there is a couple and they're nesting partners and they have yeah, yeah, a smaller. third that maybe maybe it's a triad. They're, you know, they're all involved together. You're saying like that third couple or that third couple, that third person be a mediator. Kate, is that a good idea or a bad idea? Like, what are the pros and cons of then having the third that's, partner yeah, that's more what I was talking stepping about. into something between two partners? Well, I think it depends on how emotionally intelligent the third partner is. Uh Um, The the thing is, the third partner oftentimes is going to have their own biased opinion. Can they truly be non-biased if they are in a a triad or a V formation with these two other people? Or it it might not, it could be a million different formations, but these are two partners. Right. Right. I, I sense a new book coming, Divorcing Deeply. <laughs> just saying, like, it's a reality. Nobody's making one. There's a lot to talk about and digest here. This is probably bigger Closing than the scope. Deeply. Closing Deeply. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly. Sorry, this is a can of worms I wasn't expecting to open. I'm like, wow, that's bigger than I thought. Because, like, nobody's written a book on that subject. Yeah. Like, yeah. even just how to, how to, and I guess the point I was trying to make to the both of you is, how does one in a poly relationship navigate that, even if you have the breadth of experience, emotional intelligence, have been doing this? Because in my experience, like, no two relationships are ever alike. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I mean, first, going to your first question, I think if the issue is, like, kind of low-key, then maybe another partner, especially in a healthy dynamic could help right but the more it's commingled and intertwined and the more you're talking about folks and the more heated it is and the more there's some dysfunction the Mm -hmm. more that would be a train wreck i i yeah i I would think the person would have to be the the mediator would have to be pretty impartial somebody who has the same characteristics as a judge who's able to like because sunny you would be really good at that because you're you're good at seeing both sides of an issue and you don't get emotionally just based on my like personal, you know, from what I've seen opinion, uh, like you said, Kate, I think, yes, in some cases, it could be possible just depending on the circumstances and the emotional intelligence of, you know, all the people. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think probably in a lot of cases, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And right. probably most people like go if they were to self-evaluate themselves, they would be like, oh, we can handle this. We're emotionally intelligent enough. And they can't see that they're not. <laughs> Right. You are right. not. <laughs> I know. I know. In some cases, what I usually hear is that it in successful cases is when it's like a dear friend, you know, like not a best friend, but a friend that's been around for a long time uh-huh. that they feel is wise and that they trust, and sometimes that works. But I, I have seen enough times in non-monogamous relationships where if if two people are partners and they have a shared friend. Uh, you know, if that shared friend in some way seems to side with one person, I mean, it could 
cause lasting damage to the friendship, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, is that worth it? So Oof. I think, I think it gets really tricky, but I do know that some people pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably more the exception. Than <laughs> it would be, no, it would be nice to see though some, fight. some ground rules or just general suggestions for people going through that kind of a situation. These are things that you can't, you know, like this is when you don't want to do it. This is when you do want to do it. Yeah. But not I think any, it's so complicated. It though. is. It like, is. It's so situational. But can you imagine so if you had, if you don't have anybody, like if everybody that is in your triad, like doesn't work in either a healthcare field or um, somebody who isn't aware of the emotional context of that. Like, I mean, you know, people need advice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's- Right, right. I mean, I will have to say that mostly, you know, it's it's interesting because on the internet, I sometimes feel like the focus ends up being more on these uh, these big poly networks or whatever. But honestly, what I see more is, say, a a, a couple uh-huh. that sometimes plays together, and and maybe they both have a lover that you know another lover mm-hmm. and it's not this whole kitchen table poly stuff i mean at least my clients like they're busy they're raising kids they're directing a movie they're doing this they're doing that they don't have time for these expansive networks yeah to me the expansive networks sound like i mean i know this isn't always the case but it kind of sounds like something that at least for me i could have gotten away with that maybe God, when would I have had the time for that in in uh, high school? Uh, yeah, like, no, but the, but I, you you would have had the time, you would have had the time for that in high school, but not the frontal lobe uh, capacity. To- <laughs> right, right. You know? And I, I realize that that might have sounded sounded demeaning. Like some people are blessed with that kind of time. For me personally, in my life, my whole life, I've been always working really hard. I just so I didn't mean that to sound demeaning. That might have sounded bad. But, no, um, you know. Uh, these huge extensive networks that sometimes it are not extensive networks, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I I don't see that being as common and yet it seems to be more of the forefront of discussions a lot of times. Right. Right. It's held up as kind of the utopian ideal, um, whether that's true or not, you know, that's a whole, whole nother can of worms, but yeah, in real life, people are, are all across the board. And, you know, one of the things that I want to address and, and, reiterate to listeners, our American fuckers, is when we are talking about this, we're not just talking about classical polyamory, where it's multiple enmeshed connected relationships. You're talking about the whole spectrum from like, swingers to, you know, what, 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 what are the points on the spectrum of non monogamous relationships? Right, right. Like, to me, I, I think of a, a spectrum, you know, I was talking to you about this other, other day, that mm-hmm. maybe on the left-hand side, you've got your, you know, your basic quintessential swinger couple that uh-huh. go to group sex parties. And um, usually they're playing either at a group sex party, or maybe they play with a couple or an individual, but they are sexually monogamous and... uh are sexually non-monogamous and romantically uh, monogamous. Uh-huh. And then over on the far right, you may have people that are poly, you know, and raising kids in a household. You might have uh, relationship anarchists. 
And as you can guess, on this continuum, it's a continuum from having more rigid rules to slowly having um, perhaps less less rigidity. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you have rigid rules, you know, that, that does not necessarily mean... It's, it's, it's not necessarily a negative or a positive, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I've known people with rigid rules where the, they it's very controlling and the, right. the, there's a partner who, who feels very controlled and they feel like a fraction of who they are and their true self. Mm-hmm. And then I have seen swing lifestyle people that have been doing it for decades. They like the fact that they have these guidelines, they feel safe knowing where the wall is, mm-hmm. and they can play within that boundary structure uh, in a way that makes them feel closer. And they have all these shared adventure memories, and and there's so much fun in it. Yeah, and they feel safe in it. So you know that's that's kind of the continuum with rigid boundaries. And when you get to the other side of the spectrum, and there's less boundaries, that works really well for people that have high emotional intelligence they're great at communication they're great at regulating their body you right know? right um but those loose boundaries with people that are the opposite of that uh can be very destructive right right and it it seems like the spectrum i guess and the and the the rules and the boundaries seem to be in line with um hierarchy like the the relationships that have more rules and boundaries are usually or at least in, from what i see correct me if i'm wrong um oftentimes steeped in hierarchy like you are my you know primary partner so we can do this but you know outside of our relationship this is not allowed type of thing would that be an accurate descriptor um you know i think hierarchy is one way that rules can show up okay but but yes a lot of times hierarchical relationships the more they lean that way the more rules are in place and Mm -hmm. certainly a lot of times couples that have a lot of hierarchy like if it is a couple um Sometimes in a worst case scenario, they don't understand couples privilege. Right. Right. You know, and sometimes couples that even know that lingo and they're, they're speaking about that. Um, they still don't see the water they swim in. Right. They still don't see the privilege that they have within the relationship. So I think it's, I think when you're dating, especially a single and, uh, you know, you say to them, look, we're aware of couples privilege. Um, we want to try and break that down as much as possible. It's not enough to just say that. Mm-hmm. You also need to tell them that there is always an open door and you can always let us know if we're being jerks in some way. And I think on top of that, you have to choose partners if you're dating a single person that has a lot of agency. Yeah. Because if you're saying all of that, but you're dating somebody that doesn't know how to have a, you know, they haven't learned assertiveness yet, or maybe they have certain things in their past where they're scared to have a voice, then all of those dynamics can still play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or, or if you've got your own unconscious shit going on and you're saying that you're all woke and that you understand privilege, but uh, subconsciously or some in some other way, you've got a part of yourself that wants to, uh, you know, 
right. dominate and control. And you, so it's, it's, it's really hard to get around couples privilege. Well, hence is the nature of privilege. I mean, that's what privilege is. It's the stuff you don't see. So unless you're consciously, constantly trying to look for something, you know, it's like trying to visualize something that nobody has described to you what it looks like. You know, right. so unless you're yeah. constantly working at that, you're not going to recognize your own. Pri- you can say like, well, you know, I'm going to recognize my own privilege, but n- you're not going to if you're not really working at it. And even when you're really working at it, there's still shit you're not going to recognize. That's the nature of privilege. So I just I'm throwing that out there as like a big, le- big life lesson. Privilege in yeah. all aspects. Like keep looking for your privilege. If you're like, I'm not privileged. Mm, look again. Right. <laughs> well, you know, what? one, one yeah. of the privileges that the three of us have right now, we have been centering this conversation and not exactly making it heteronormative, but it's kind of heteronormative. Yeah. Because I, I, like the entire time when we were talking about relationship types, I thought about, well, this doesn't really apply to like gay men, for example. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So let's just talk about that for a minute. So in my practice, um, I always have at least one gay couple in my practice for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, I, I tend to have kind of a constant flow of referrals from mm-hmm. the gay community. So it's not, it's not like I have a ton of gay couples, but I usually have at least one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to me, that's almost like a set. It's almost a separate book, honestly, because when I, yeah, go I was going to say, there's gotta be nuances, right? That just aren't oh the God, same. And like, like I said, it's almost a to- totally separate book. It's hard to, to hold both because when I talk to gay men, one, they don't use the, the gay men that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. They don't use terms. They don't say non-monogamy or polyamory or hierarchy or any of this lingo. They just explain to me what they just did over the weekend. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, or they just describe what they want in the relationship, but without any terms. Mm -hmm. So literally, if I was writing a book related to gay men, God, it would be a completely different book. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I imagine that it's modular with the generation of the men that you're talking about. When yeah. you talk about like two boomers versus uh, two Gen Zers. Oh, God. Like like the yeah. nature of their relationships. <laughs> it's got to be different. It just has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I, and honestly, when I just zoom through the gay men that have come into my practice, they tend to be. Gen X, probably. Like 30s, 40s. Oh, okay. So more yeah. elder millennials. Yeah. 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 30s, 40s. yeah. And there's so much, I mean, culturally that affects all, all of this stuff, you know, whether it's the specific culture country you're in, the, the culture of the social group you grew, you know, are you in a small conservative town? Are you in a big city where like all your non-monogamous friends all have brunch on Sundays? Like every single layer of your socialization and your culture affects anything about your sexuality or relationships either to a some to a smaller degree and some to a huge ass degree so god it's so yeah. complex there's so many layers to everything blah yeah it's a lot yeah. and and you know i mean just to be transparent like in my practice i have had some some people that identify as a lesbian but that's you know that's even smaller than the gay community I have a lot of folks that identify as, say, omnisexual or pansexual. That's mm-hmm. super common. Um, 
you know, and, and a good pe- lot of people who identify as gender, queer, or agender, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that you goes know, hand so in hand with the numbers. There's yeah. the, a lot of the numbers we're seeing, especially with younger folks, are showing that they're getting more queer and gender fluid regardless of their overall orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which I think is wonderful. I think the more we just, I would love to see just everything become more fluid, like relationship fluid, gender fluid, yep. sexual fluidity. You know, and just allow people to be in flow and and in growth with all of this stuff. And and usually when um, a culture uh, feels safer, Mm -hmm. they become less rigid. Yeah. Yeah. When the more scared a culture is, the more rigid it becomes. Mm -hmm. So if we can create a culture that feels safer, then you're just going to see this continue to progress. Yeah. The future is fluid. Put yeah, that I on some so. t-shirts. So. Fucking yeah. explains half of Russia. Oh god! Oh god! That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother. Interesting. You know, when you when you uh, compare a traumatized body to a traumatized country, mm-hmm. there's something similar that happens. Like somebody who's really traumatized and has not worked through their trauma, they're like a, a flower that's tight in the bud. Like their whole body is crunched down and tight. You know, uh-huh. or they're completely dissociated and checked out from the body, you know, and uh, like Russia, when I listen to people talk about Russians, they are just tough. I hear that they are like comedian Godfrey was just talking about this. He was did, just did a skit on uh, IG talking about just how tough Russians are. Yeah, oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of leads me to wanting to talk about consensual non-monogamy in all of its forms and mental health, you know, whether that is attachment styles and like early in life trauma that sort of imprints the way you act with others to dealing with um, communication issues, et cetera, conflict in relationships when there's also, let's say, mood disorders at play or, you know, mental health issues that are in the mix. So let's start going there. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about attachment styles like can you give us a brief run by of what attachment styles are and how they can affect our relationships you know all i guess all of our relationships you know in in the present and i like just just briefly i love how you rattled that off because a lot of times you will see that in one human like somebody who has a disorganized attachment style and they have borderline personality disorder and they might have a mood disorder and and this and that all in one human Mm -hmm. right so anyway, but talking to talking to attachment styles. So I tend to use the Diane Pooler Heller model, mm-hmm. uh, which is secure attachment, ambivalent, avoidant, and disorganized. Mm-hmm. Um, so a secure attachment style, usually a secure person, they had a backstory that was the golden, lovely childhood where they felt loved and, and supported. Um and so when they go into non-monogamy, they, they're not going to struggle with jealousy as much because the world has taught them that they will be loved and supported. Mm-hmm. And so when they go into non-monogamy, they kind of expect, uh, you know, it may be hard. They may struggle with some jealousy and, and all of that, but it's going to be way easier for them. Right. If you talk about somebody who's ambivalent or, you know, other language you'll hear for that is anxious, preoccupied. Uh-huh. So the ambivalent person 
in their backstory. They had parents that were there for them part of the time, but not all of the time. They were pretty decent parents, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, But because the parents were not consistent in their presence, um, the, the the child tends to be anxious and when they grow up and they're in a non-monogamous relationship, they tend to be more of a hover pilot, right? Mm -hmm. And they tend to be ambivalent in terms of how happy they are in the relationship. Uh, They sometimes inside their head, they may be pretty dissatisfied or anxious or worried. Sometimes that's not what presents in their behaviors. Mm. Sometimes in their behavior, because they're trying to be good poly, because they're trying to, to make things work, they can, present like an overgiver, like doing everything, sometimes saying yes, when it's not a true yes, anything that they feel that they can do to make things work. It makes me think of that meme. It's like where I think it's a Muppet or something is on fire and they're like, everything's fine. (laughs) Oh no, everything's great. And inside you're like, (laughs) and so, yeah. And so in my book, I kind of talk about that model. And if I could go back, I would have added two and just said that, you know, somebody of this type, this ambivalent, ambivalent and anxious also might show up as the nervous Nelly. That's mm. like, you know, that's like very, very scared. And I, when I say nervous Nelly, I don't mean to be, you know, uh, insulting or anything. But, you know, that, that person that's very worried within their non-monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're always asking questions. And, and maybe their partner is like, oh, we've already been through this. Why are you still so worried about this? You know, it could show up in that way as well. Right. And then you've got your avoidant which um, is similar to fearful avoidant. The avoidant, when they were children, they didn't get enough love. Their parents were not there. They're, um, and so they grow up and they show up in relationships in a similar way. Mm-hmm. So in a non-monogamous relationship, especially if they're dating a uh, anxious, ambivalent type, they'll be very easily pull away. Right. So if you're nervous about non-monogamy if you're like oh i don't know if i can do this they may just like not talk to you for a couple of days or just pull away or you can sense they their emotional removal right very quickly and a lot of times those two those two types date which i can talk about why those two would date but that's super common for those two types to fall in love with each other it's 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 as common as dirt um And then the final is the disorganized uh, attachment style. And that style usually has a highly traumatic backstory. Uh Um, They were often abused and neglected. And I'm not saying that all abused and neglected people end up showing up like a disorganized attachment style. And with, and oh, by the way, with all four of these types, you are not stuck in them. Right. What fires together, wires together, and you can change over the course of your life. And you may show up differently depending on who you date. Uh-huh. If you're an insecure, an insecure type and you date a secure type, that may um, at first be hard for you. But if you lean into it, you will start to move more towards being a secure type yourself. Mm, okay. You know? Yeah. But I've talked to you about positive affect tolerance. At first, the the positivity of the secure type could make an anxious type kind of, uh, it might be too much for them at first. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they do have to lean into it. To be able to build a muscle to tolerate the yumminess of dating a secure type. 
Yeah. And, and you know, I can just see that. Like, I, I'm thinking of a real world example. And maybe I always thought I was avoidant. But now I'm like, maybe I'm a little more anxious sometimes than I want to admit. But I think I am. But like, I could just see me being with a very secure type, I would be nervous, like, well, first of all, is this for real? Secondly, right. is it are they manipulating me? Thirdly, is this love bombing? I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think this is maybe why Diane Poole Heller decided to use the word ambivalent rather than the previous like anxious, term, anxious, yeah. occupied because she speaks on exactly what you just said mm -hmm. that the um, ambivalent type, if somebody actually does come forward, they they tend to withdraw. Yeah. Yeah, when someone seems to, quote, normal and well-adjusted, instead of immediately going, wow, I met a really cool person that, you know, I really, I'm like, what's wrong with them? They are too, this is too good. No, they're hiding something. Like, that's where I right. go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, let, so I definitely want to go to disorganize and yeah. explain that. But let me just say at this point, this is part of the reason the uh, ambivalent and the avoidant date each other because they confirm each other's backstory. Oh. You know, the, the avoidant um, oftentimes feel, even though they had a parent that was not there for them, a lot of times they have the story in their head that if somebody is coming towards them, that they will be engulfed. Mm. And the anxious ambivalent person oftentimes has the story in their head that no one will ever be there for them. Ah. And so they actually, in some ways, have the same tolerance for intimacy. And so if the avoidant all of a sudden went and did a whole bunch of therapy and came back and said, I'm finally, I'm finally here to be present for you. If the ambivalent hadn't done their own self-work, they'd be like, eep, and they'd like back up and create reestablish the distance. Wow. So I want I want to just take a moment for our American fuckers listening. If you're feeling emotionally called out right now, like maybe you're in a therapy session, you're not alone. Just putting that <laughs> out there. <laughs> I'm like, my face got real serious. I'm like, oh. <laughs> So oh, you, shit. Can see, you can see how this would play out in a non-monogamous relationship, right? Like yeah. non-monogamy becomes yeah. this perfect platform for all of this stuff to play out. You mm -hmm. know, it's like the anxious person gets nervous or they're being a hover pilot. And so then the avoidant is feeling uh, suffocated. So they go off and spend a whole bunch of time with their other lovers, which sets off the jealousy and the ambivalent. And then they get even bigger. And then the with the avoidant gets even more, uh, you know, avoids even more, and it, it it amplifies and amplifies and amplifies. Oh my god, it's like a snowball of emotional knee-jerk reactions. Ah, uh. right. This is the quintessential unconscious reactive relation relationship. You mm -hmm. know, and again, the word re reactive. If you're not, if you don't know how to ground yourself, if you don't know how to help ground your partner, all this stuff will have, you know, just gasoline, gasoline thrown on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So, um, but all of this, I mean, this is a big part of what my book is about. It's yeah. just all kinds of different strategies to keep this kind of dynamic uh, at bay and, and to reverse it and start heading towards a conscious, compassionate relationship, which is the antithesis right. of what we just described. So the, then the last one is disorganized attachment. And again, that this is tends to be someone with a, a really 
hard, you know, a lot of abuse and neglect. Not all people with abuse, abusive, neglectful backgrounds will end up showing up like this. Uh-huh. But a lot of times the disorganized type may have, uh, they, they, they tend to swing, um, in different ways. So what they want most and what they fear most is love, uh. you know, very similar to someone with BPD, uh-huh. you know, and, and so they, uh, and, and they can be very erratic in their behaviors uh-huh. because they just, they, they haven't had enough nurturance in their life. Uh-huh. And, and so dating someone with a disorganized style, uh, can, can be very exhausting. It can be very hard. Yeah. Cause they can really swing in all kinds of different directions. Um, it is a very chaotic personality type. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it can show up where, um, where they come towards you with all this love and you feel like, and and the sex is great and you feel like you've been put on this big platform. And just when you feel like the Disney princess is singing, you're knocked off the platform and you're, (laughs) you know, you're, you're crying on the, on the ground. Now, why is this happening? It's because, there's going towards the love. And as soon as they feel the love, then they're like, Oh shit. And then they back up hard and that can look like them withdrawing or throwing or, or, or starting a really vicious fight or, you know, that sort of thing. So uh-huh. it, you can just really feel whipped around yeah. when you're in a relationship with a disorganized attachment. And you can see how that would show up in non-monogamy. Like you add non-monogamy to the mix. And now you're talking about all kinds of relationship agreements that might be broken or, um, all kinds of stress that uh, might unfold within a non-monogamous relationship. So, like, you know... I now have Disney, like, polycule songs going through my head. Can you sing some? <laughs> <laughs> Can you feel my trauma? <laughs> yes! Yes! So, yeah, like, I- I'm sitting here like, wow, this is deep. and And, you know, talking about that emotional snowball of knee-jerk reactions when you start peeling back the onion layers. And let's say, you know, our, our theoretical couple or whatever, they understand attachment styles. They understand, you know, who who they are most of the time or who they are in this relationship or whatever and, you know, how they play off of each other. And they, they've got that down. They've got the understanding down. But then we pull back that onion layer and we've got mental health. I mean, you know, whether it's uh, BPD, you know, you're, you're, you have um, rejection sensitive dysphoria, you know, as part of your ADHD, you uh, go through depressive episodes, you're bipolar, you know, a lot of folks have mental health issues as well, or like someone who is, you know, leans towards that, that narcissistic scale, or they have full blown narcissistic personality disorder. Once you put all those into the mix, and let's say they aren't necessarily, you know, very well managed, like sometimes they get the best of you. Mm-hmm. How do and, you handle that now? Right. And and all of this is in the book as well. Like everything that we've been talking about so far, all of it is in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about someone who's depressed, if you're mm-hmm. in a relationship with someone that's depressed, um, and let's say... Um, and, and, oh, by the way, a lot of people don't understand that any kind of mental disorder is on a continuum. So you could be, a, you can be with somebody that 
is lightly depressed or you can be with somebody that is, you know, suicidal. So, so let's just say you're in a relationship with someone who has some depression, but they're not suicidal mm-hmm. at all. Like, and they're not doing any kind of self-harm or anything that extreme, but they do go into significant depressions mm-hmm. to the degree that um, sometimes on any given day, if you were ask, ask yourself, should I take care of myself or should I take care of them mm-hmm. based on who's hurting more? The answer would always be them, mm. you know, and you can see how that gets problematic. Mm-hmm. So if you're dating someone that's depressed, it's important that you don't fall into that pattern of just asking. You, you got to look at the bigger picture and realize your self-care matters as well mm-hmm. and try and find some kind of balance. Because if you're always just asking yourself that on a daily basis, the answer might be always them, and you may never have any space within the relationship for yourself. Right. <laughs> and in non-monogamy, that could translate into them uh, having a lot more freedom than you. Ah, okay. You know, or them getting a lot, of, you know, in discussions, things favoring them way more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're the one that's depressed, then within that relationship... Let's look at it on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, one, to anyone that's struggling with depression out there, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Depression can be crushing and it can get in the way of your hopes and dreams and uh, all kinds of things. But there's these days, especially these days, there's things that you can do to help yourself. You know, there's, there's a lot of books that you can read. There's, um, if you need psych meds, they're there for you and they can really help. Um, for those of you who are like, ah, I don't want to do psych meds. Um, well, that's a whole discussion that would be, we could do a separate yeah. episode <laughs> on. But I'll say this, that for someone struggling with just some light depression, but they can't get out of bed and they have all these hopes and dreams and day after day, they're not reaching them because of, because they just can't get going. Mm-hmm. Just a light psych med sometimes can just give you that little extra boost mm-hmm. to make everything go better, including your therapy. Right. Um, and, and so, so that's one piece is, is if you're depressed, taking responsibility for your side of it, are you getting the care that you need? Are you exercising? Are you eating well? You know, are you sleeping well? And if you can't do those things, do you need a little, do you need a psych med so that you will do those things? So Uh you have to lift up to do the self care necessary to create the positive spiral up. Right. Right. Um, if you're, and, and, and your partner, you, it's important that you choose a partner that's kind and compassionate and understands your position and doesn't, and j- doesn't tell you, you just need to get over it. Right? right. Just get up and do stuff. God, you'll feel better. Like, like, right. Uh, I'm giving the finger to that partner. Right. Hey, I'm right, right. over here, dude. What? <laughs> Right. And, and I have to say, Sonny does a really good job. Part of it is like was as somebody who suffers from depression is knowing what your limitations are and knowing when you can kind of like when you might need to just barricade yourself into a room and play video games for a little while. Sometimes that, that escapism or reading a book or, you know, just going for a walk, but like not relying a hundred percent on anybody else is actually very empowering for me personally. And I don't know if that works for anybody else, but like those little victories mean a lot to me. I think a lot of it just, and this is just in general, like human behavior in all sorts of relationships Um, as a collective, as humans, we don't give enough credit 
to other people for being the experts of their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And we have this propensity to want to like, butt our noses in and give, you know, quote, helpful advice or say like, well, you just need to blah, blah, blah. Have you tried rubbing coconut oil on it? You know, if you, if you did some yoga, if you, you know, and it's like, I've rubbed coconut oil on literally everything. (laughs) I I don't have anything left. Like even my ears, my butthole, my peel, everything has had coconut oil. But I think, I think just, just uh, acknowledging and letting that other person know that you acknowledge that they are the expert in their experiences. Like f- with you, Ken, like sometimes it's like, I can tell you just don't feel like doing shit. And I'm not going to bug you. Why are you doing so? Why don't you feel good? Why don't you do this? Try some yoga. Have some coffee. You know what? Maybe you're just having a day and you know you the best. So I'm just going to let you have a day. Like, what's the harm? You know, so I don't know. I just went on a tangent. But yeah, people listening, think of that. Think of other people are the experts in their own experiences. So get off their case. Okay. Keep going, Kate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with all of that, too. See, I mean, just just this, just talking about depression within non-monogamy could Mm -hmm. be an episode for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and... Pleasure is everywhere. That first sip of a perfect cup of coffee, laying in the nice warm sun, or listening to a sexy story. With Dipsy, your sanctuary is waiting. Escape into a world where pleasure is your only priority. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with that hot, hot yoga instructor. They even have stories designed specifically for your zodiac sign. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Again, 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. Spring is officially in the air. It's a time of new beginnings and a chance to reawaken your sexual energy with Like a Kitten. If you've ever visited a sex toy shop, you know that the number of products to choose from 
is overwhelming. And it's even worse when you shop online. You know, you type in what you're looking for and it tells you, here's page one of 279. Luckily, Like a Kitten makes buying sex essentials easy. Like a Kitten offers subscription gift boxes. So each season, you'll receive a new shipment right to your door with all the ingredients to spice up your sex life. Their spring box will tickle all of your senses with goodies like strawberry nipple arousal cream, cheeky apple lube, and melting rose petals for the bath. And the folks at Like a Kitten are expert curators. They select amazing pleasure products. This spring, you'll receive a pink glass dildo, flowered glass Kegel balls, and even a mini flower pot with seeds for roses, daisies, and sunflowers. I get so excited when my new Like a Kitten subscription box arrives because the surprises inside always inspire me to play in new ways. And this spring, the subscription box price is only $79. That's a great deal because the products in this box, they retail for well over $150. And to celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Or enter the code sunny at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or use code sunny to get 15% off these incredible boxes. That's likeakitten.com slash sunny. And that link is on our episode description. I mean, just just this, just talking about depression within non-monogamy could mm-hmm. be an episode for yeah. sure. Yeah, you know, and and you know, I, I I agree with everything that you said. I agree, of course, with what I said, and it all can mesh together. And something sometimes we can lean on one part more than the other. But um, yeah, within non-monogamy, it's like okay, so if you're the the partner and you're um, that is watching your partner hole up for a couple of days because they're depressed. You know, sometimes that means that you give them space. Sometimes that means that they need extra love. If they need extra space, if you have other partners, you can go see them potentially. If your partner, you know, this gets complicated, yeah. right? Because if you're if you're depressed, you might want your partner near you. Yeah, depression it, is modular. It, like for me, at least, it's something that like I have different flavors of depression that mean different things, and I'm really the only one who can interpret what I need at that given time. Right. And so again, one of the most important things is having a emotionally intelligent, compassionate partner, because if you have a partner that's like, gets butt hurt and is just like, screw you for withdrawing, um, you know, and they get vindictive in it and, mm-hmm. you know, and see their other partners almost in a vindictive way. Cause they feel left. Yeah. That's going to make the depressed person cascade into a deeper depression, right? Yeah. So it becomes so important that you have a partner that can read you and that you have open discussion so that your non-monogamous relationship can add to rather than damage uh-huh. that dynamic. And I think a non-monogamous relationship that's super healthy can be helpful. Um you know, if we switch to talking about borderline personality disorder, a lot of therapists that identify as monogamous would think that non-monogamy is like crazy pants, crazy talk. Mm-hmm. 
for somebody with borderline personality disorder, because usually this is somebody that has all kinds of horrific attachment injuries. They've been taught that the world is not a safe place, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so a lot of monogamous psychotherapists would probably lean towards, you know, this person needs one partner that is very secure uh, and, and they need to slowly heal that attachment through that very predictable, secure relationship. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you could argue that with someone with full tilt BT- BPD symptoms, if, if like say there's a, a primary relationship or a nesting partner, that that BPD person has a tendency to swing a, a lot. Right. And so they can wear down their primary partner. If they have other partners, then one, they can emotionally lean on those other partners. And also, if they get into a fight with their nesting partner, they have a security net of people, if they're chosen wisely, that they can lean on as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you I mean, it, really, if you think about it logically, if we have more friends, let's say, and and those friends are of, you know, different flavors and different personalities, we have more options to find what suits us if we're going through any kind of a hard time, you know? Right. Um, why wouldn't it be the same with partners? Right, right. Now, a lot of people listening to that that understand BPD probably thought what I just said was complete insanity because a lot of people said, you know, if you read about BPD, a lot of BPD people, if it's extreme can't maintain relationships in the first place so so how could anything i just say anything that i just said be true Mm -hmm. but again i'm speaking on a continuum there are people with bpd symptoms that might not even be diagnosable that just have light symptoms um right where everything that i just said would apply i've had clients that are diagnosable but they are a mild case right and what I just described would apply to them and has been helpful to them. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. I think just in general, BPD's gotten a bad rap and has a lot of stigma. And the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is there's a lot of people out there with BPD. And, you know, people with BPD have been portrayed as like erratic. And blah, 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 blah. It's like there are people that are all flavors of the spectrum at all uh, different points in in management and like it's it's I just I guess what I'm saying is like if you're listening and you're like BPD stigma all BPD people are banana pants and no 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 yeah. <laughs> get yeah, rid of I, that thinking no 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 on, honestly just over the course of my career I've actually really enjoyed working with a lot of the BPD people that I've, that I've had as clients or were patients at the hospital back when I worked at the hospital. Um, of course, I'm talking, you know, it, I'm talking about the, uh, how should I put it? There are folks with BPD that are just really setting the world on fire. Right. You know, that really extreme cases. But there's folks with mild BPD that are aware of it, they're aware of their attachment injuries, they're working on themselves, they're trying really hard. And um, just in my experience, there's Uh other, and I'm not saying that there's a correlation, I'm just saying that in my experience, I've just worked with a lot of folks with BPD that um, there's there's positive traits that seem to come with it. Uh Like, um, 
they tend to be passionate people. Right. Um, and their passion, when it's a positive passion, can be lovely to be around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, a lot of times I've found in my personal experience that folks with some BPD symptoms sometimes are like wonderfully creative mm-hmm. and have these big creative, passionate ideas and to have a conversation with them when they're in a good place is, uh, is amazing. Right. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that have really, uh, made them, made BPD folks sound like they're monsters, including some therapists. Right. A lot of therapists, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's a lot more nuanced. And to me, looking at it more from the standpoint that I just described with the disorganized attachment style, which I think BPD and disorganized attachment style has, has a lot in common. The idea that what they fear most and what they want most is love. Mm -hmm. That's humanizing. Right. We all want love. I mean, come on. Right, right. Well, when you think about where that comes from, you know, it comes from, you imagine a sweet little three-year-old that's like, mommy, I love you. But then, you know, and she reaches out to mommy and then mommy slaps her down to the ground. Yeah. In, in response. Like that's a lot of times for the BPD person or the disorganized attachment style, something like that has been in their, their experience their whole life. Mm-hmm. And so you, you see it in that moment, the child reaching out for love and all she wants is love. And then the parents slapping them down. That, that's kind of the dynamic they reenact in their life. Right. Is like striving for it. And then it gets, in the case of the adult, they sometimes knock away the love before they can get slapped down. Right. Yeah. And I mean, really that, you know, whole inner child, uh, image or persona. That's all of us when we get really emotional. (laughs) We become our emotional, you know, four-year-olds. Like, that's what we do, especially if we let it kind of get the best of us and let our emotions, uh, you know, lead us into knee-jerk reactions and calling people things that maybe isn't the best that we will regret tomorrow. And, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of us. You know, it's all, I've said this a million times, but it's all on a continuum Mm -hmm. and none of it is something that we're stuck with. We can heal. Um, I've seen, I've had clients with BPD that um, have healed tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's something to understand where they start to have more relationships. They start to feel better about themselves. They start to do better in their profession, just like a- across the board in all areas. Um, I've, I've seen them have better lives. So, you know, that I, you know, and, and so within a non-monogamous relationship, if the BPD person is healing, like at the beginning, they might be really blowing up their non-monogamous relationship, like Mm -hmm. breaking agreements and all kinds of stuff. But as they heal, they'll get better and better at managing non-monogamy of creating relationship agreements that work for them, of choosing partners that set them up for success rather than failure, et cetera, and so on. Right. And so, you know, we have talked a lot about ways we can, fuck up our connections with our partners within non-monogamy. Um, so let's let's end with talking about ways that we can uh, maintain that important connection with our partners. Yeah. Well, you know, a- again, um, so I would say, you know, I've, ta- I've talked about 
uh, we, you know, it sounds like we've been talking about the negative, but in, in, in all of this, there's also been the positive of, uh-huh. you know, um, learning how to ground yourself, somatic tracking, you know, mindfulness. I could talk about all of that. I've talked about the epic communication system. Um, I think, you know, if you have a nesting partner or a primary relationship, and this could extend to any of your relationships, um, staying intellectually, emotionally, and sexually connected is really important. Uh-huh. A lot of times um, I see couples where they want to stay close, but they are kind of phoning it in in those areas, uh-huh. and then they choose other partners, and all of a sudden that other partner will become primary in, so- in a certain way that they didn't want Right. Uh, Like, uh, you know, like say there's a primary relationship um, or a nesting partner relationship and they say to themselves, you know, that we want to stay primary in all the all the ways. But then the outside relationships end up being sexual primaries. And, you know, that's that's not what they ever signed on board for, because their love language a lot of times is freedom, fun, carefree, carefree, fun and adventure. Right. uh So if you stay emotionally, intellectually, emotionally, and sexually connected, uh-huh. that's that's crucial. And I talk about that within the book. Um, I think a lot of it starts with the body. Mm. It starts with tracking the body. When you are connected to your body and tracking your body, then you will be able to tell your partner what you truly need. Uh, a lot of literature out there within non-monogamy leans towards cognitive behavioral, and that has its place, but people end up leaning on it so hard that they're disconnected from their body, and so they ignored the fact that their partner, you know, maybe asks or says to them, do you, how do you feel about me doing X, Y, and Z? And in their mind, they intellectually say, oh, I'm fine with that. You know, it's logical. We've known this person for years. They've always been respectful, etc. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't have any issue. And then their partner goes off and has the experience with the other partner, comes back. And, and the first person is like, why am I so pissed off? You know? Yeah. And then their partner's like, what the hell? You said you were okay with it. What's going on with you? Versus... If your partner says to you, do you, uh, how do you feel about me seeing Sarah? And instead you check in with your body and you notice a little knife drop mm-hmm. and you go off to the side and you're like, what, what was that knife drop about? What, what am I feeling? Am I, what, what is that sensation? And I'm noticing I'm feeling anxiety. What is it about? Oh, well, they've never spent the night with someone else before or an anniversary is coming up or whatever. And then you can come back and talk to all parties involved right. and create something that everyone agrees with. But you're coming from a place of connecting to your body and finding out how you feel from that deep level. And if you operate your whole non-monogamous relationship from a standpoint of always being connected to not just your thoughts, but also your body sensations and emotions and coming and, and letting that be your full emotion, uh, your full internal compass mm-hmm. to guide you, that will have a ripple effect in all areas of your non-monogamous journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like when, when I hear that, I hear my, you know, utopian ideal scenario. Like, let's say, you know, I'm that person who is like, hey, do you mind if I do X, Y, Z? And it's a first time. And I'm like, mm. and logically, I want to be like, yeah, that's of course. Like, no, yeah, yeah do, do your thing. But internally, I feel like, ooh, 
there's a feeling, an unexpected, uneasy feeling to be able to say like to my partner, like, yes, of course, but I'm feeling some things. Let me figure out what I'm feeling. And then, you know, maybe it's we process this together. You know, Uh, we talk about like, I'm not saying don't go do that, but I'm saying I'm feeling some things and I need help figuring it out and and reconciling it within myself kind of thing. Um, To me, that's like the ideal, you know, quote, healthy uh, scenario. And at least what I strive for in my uh, relationships is like, you can't help feeling, you know, it's like, you can't only follow the logic and ignore the feelings. Um, and it's like, you have to honor, but you also shouldn't let just the feelings rule you because then if I'm like, no, you can't do that. I'm going to control you. And that's fucking unhealthy. Um, so like that balance of, of being able to recognize that and talk about it and then having the partner be emotionally intelligent or healthy enough to, to recognize, like if my partner is saying they're having some negative feelings about what I'm doing it's not an um, automatic knee-jerk reaction like, why don't they like me? Why are they trying to control me? Like, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with, like, some feelings that they have, and they're asking for my help to, to help them figure it out and to help them process it. Sonny, so, I'm having yeah. negative feelings. I can't see your boobs right now. Here. <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank goodness this isn't on video or you know we'd, we'd uh not be uh, terms of service friendly for anything um yeah i with with that i i i think i i agree with that some of the time mm-hmm. um and and I'll, I'll i'll tell you you know there's a lot of times i have clients where they're saying they're saying, yeah, go off and do the thing. But they're literally having panic attacks and mm. night terrors while their partner is doing the thing. So I have a hard time. Like, yeah. I, I I, do not believe that we own another human. I don't think it's good to control another human. But I do believe, just like with consent with sex, there needs to be some consent within non-monogamy. And it's more complicated than I'm just not going to control another human. Yeah. It's like, it's really important to have a compassionate partner. That's like, I see, yes, this I want to do X, Y, and Z, but I can see that maybe due to some unresolved feelings that you're, that this is traumatizing you right now, or you're just not ready for it. And maybe I can pump the brakes on some of the things right. I want to do in my life and make sure that we're both Okay. Before I do it, because I see a lot of people in their effort, like not wanting to control another human, which, yeah, I'm totally on board with that, too. Mm-hmm. But it, they they skew on that. They lean on that so hard that they're just telling their partner to go off and do things. And they're getting traumatized and sometimes accumulatively traumatized over the course of their non-monogamous relationship. So there's got to be something a little bit more complex mm-hmm. and nuanced when we're negotiating our non-monogamous. And, and then too, like to add to, cause like, as we're talking, I'm like, this is just all, all a giant growing snowball of emotional fuckery. It really is. Uh, <laughs> life is really. Um, but then, you know, it's like, 
one thing, and this is where the non-monogamy part comes into it, because if we were talking about something that was in more of just a monogamous situation, like it could end there with whatever the two partners agree. But then you have to think about whatever the two partners are agreeing with, how is it affecting that third partner and affecting their consent and their understanding of the relationship? So it's like, not only do we have the complexity of having to figure out our own shit, then how our own shit affects, you know, the, the, our primary or nesting or whatever, whatever partner we're dealing with primarily in that situation. And then the peripheral partners as well. So right. it's a big, it's a big ball of emotions and consent and respect and balance. And I'm sure that's where like privilege can seep in. It's a lot. I mean, I can see right. why being uh, in plural relationships to take us full circle with our <laughs> language um, does take a lot of, of compassion for, uh, you know, people out, not just the person in front of you, but people outside of that, like the ripples of compassion, like the butterfly effect of compassion um, throughout your larger circle and emotional intelligence. Like this is a lot. So your book is fucking needed. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, and I'm glad you said all of that because sometimes I think when people hear me talk, they think that I am really you know and even the way i wrote my book focused on kind of the the dyad Mm -hmm. you know it's like i think sometimes people think that i am advocating for hierarchy or couples privilege or something like that when really i'm just trying to make something that's so freaking complicated and trying to make it as simple as possible right while not avoiding the things that we haven't been talking about Mm mm-hmm you know, I, I very much am on board with everything you just said. Yeah, yeah. It's complicated, y'all. It is <laughs> complicated. Um, and so, yeah, Open Deeply, uh, the book, which is available, what, wherever you get books, right? Like, where where can we find it, you, your wonderful podcast with that great co-host I heard that, that oh, you had? Tell me about that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> So I have this amazing podcast and I was so blessed, you know, at the very beginning of doing my pod, when I thought I wanted to do a podcast, I thought, there's this awesome person named Sunny Megatron. Maybe I'll call her. Maybe she'll do it with me. Yeah. And when I called her, she immediately said yes. And I was doing a happy dance all over my apartment. Anyway, yes, I have a podcast called Open Deeply with Sunny Megatron. Yay. You. Uh, and the first season was uh, a really going deep with different guests. Most of them were different social justice ad- advocates, sex positive people like Andrew Gerza, Jim Anika, Lenora Claire, etc. And they had one episode to tell um, their life story or some key, really important stories from their life. And a second episode where we, you know, asked some very deep questions about Um, the previous episode. Um, And the focus was to uh, take us from struggle to meaning, Mm -hmm. from struggle to inspiration, and just show how we can all heal and um, empower ourselves and learn from each other, and how vulnerability is power. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. And now we're going into the second season, which is totally different. Yep. (laughs) 
And, and that is about love. The second season is about love. You know, after we saw how a lot of people leaned on the hard things in their life to get to the love, to get to the inspiration and meaning, uh, we thought now we're going to really focus on the second part, which is uh-huh. the, the, the love. And, and, and specifically when it comes to folks that are kinky, non-monogamous, neurodiverse, etc. And right now we're just going to do, uh, uh, a chunk of, um, non-monogamous episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, your, your co-hosts on talk. Can you hook me up? You know, know. you know what I just, <laughs> you know what I just realized? Might be able to. This, uh, this like podcasting inception that we're having right now is kind of like podcasting polyamory. We are in a V, uh, relationship configuration. I'm at the bottom of the V, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and Kate is, is one, one side of the top of the V and another side. And you are podcasting metamors and we're having like a kitchen table podcasting sort of vibe and oh getting all God. together right the, now. I have the best metamor. <laughs> I have the best metamor. No, I do. Wait, are we having a podcasting threesome right now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Um, So, and then, you know, when it comes to your social media and links to where to get your book, which is pretty much everywhere, I will have all those links in the show notes for this episode for all the American fuckers listening, which will be at americansexpodcast.com for whatever episode number this is, 180 something. I don't know. And, or... Uh, go to whatever podcast player you're listening to right now and go to the episode description and all of those links will be there. Uh, thank you, Kate. This has been a great podcasting threesome. Podsum, which we need to, no, oh, that's like awesome. a possum. This has been a, a possum. Great, yeah, I don't know. We need to make a podcasting threesome word. I'm, I'm, I'm more stretching. like an ostrich with its head in the sand. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, thank you, Kate. <laughs> Uh, we, we will talk Thank again you. soon. You know, you'll be back. So yes, yes. And I always love getting to talk to both of you. You know, I get to talk to you a lot, Sonny, but I enjoy talking to both of you at the same time. That's, that's Ditto. you know, another configuration that's, that's fun and juicy. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, until next time. Thanks, Kate. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community. Or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape. Well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. win, win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. 
Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.